I'm Xander Wilson, and welcome to The Silver Bullet, a brand new podcast from Media and Capital Partners. This podcast will feature disruptors from all across the Australian business landscape. We'll chat with ASX-listed company leaders to startup founders finding their way and all sorts of business leaders and innovative thinkers in between to uncover what they're doing differently and discover their silver bullet for success. On today's episode, I'm chatting with a startup founder who's tapped into a pandemic-driven demand for pets in Australia to create a business that's revolutionising the dog breeding industry. So Nathan Oliveri is the CEO and founder of Right Paw, an online platform that aims to improve animal welfare by connecting buyers with responsible dog breeders in Australia. Nathan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me to chat about your business. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And yeah, excited to, to have a chat and, and talk all things Right Paw and pets. Awesome to have you. So tell me a bit about Right Paw, you know, what precisely is it the platform does? The intro I just gave you, I stole straight from the website. I'm sure there's more to it than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, in short, Rightpaw is a way to help uh, people that are looking for pets uh, online. So, you know, particularly dogs, uh, which is where we've started. So looking for a new puppy uh, to help them navigate sort of the wild world of finding a pet online and help them uh, locate responsible breeders so they can log on to Rightpaw. They can go through and browse and search through the different breeders that we have verified and vetted through our own um, processes. Uh, they're able to apply with those breeders, uh, communicate securely on the platform, uh, pay for their pup and be supported basically end to end through the whole journey. So, you know, going back a number of years, uh, finding a pet online, it was all about ringing around, trying to find a breeder, then get a hold of a breeder, then try and figure out whether they're the right fit for you. Uh, it's all done, you know, over text or email and you don't feel particularly confident about sending thousands of dollars over the internet with sort of your fingers crossed. So our hope was to try and basically reimagine how buying a pet online should be um, and really make sure that the owners felt supported from the search all the way to the sale and then beyond. Yeah. So the interesting thing about when I was looking into it, I mean, like, like we've known each other since university. That's that's no secret. And and I did obviously take note when you know you had founded this company a couple of years ago. So twenty twenty, it it looks like something that it's almost surprising that it didn't already exist. Were you surprised when you started looking into it that there wasn't something that already did this? Oh, absolutely. I think you know th- this isn't a new challenge. It's something which yeah has has been around for a while. And and you know it's we often talk about the you know, breeding world and the, and the buying of a pet as, as one of the last industries that's left to digitize. And, and the reason for that is because it is very much a, you know, old school way of doing things. You know, a lot of industries, whether it's, you know, a lot of marketplaces, um, you know, for example, you think about ones like um, Airtask or High Pages or things where it's about, you know, taking an industry that maybe previously existed in the yellow pages and bringing it online, you know, that's, you know, a lot of industries have followed that process. But with breeding, you know, it's something which has been quite difficult to do, um, particularly because you've got maybe a, a slightly, um, you know, older uh, client base who's more, you know, used to doing things in their their own way with pen and paper. But I think what, what really um, shifted it, particularly in the last two years, was just the overwhelming demand that breeders received during COVID just meant that they needed a, a, a better way of doing things and a better way to, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, manage all of their, their applications, manage their processes. So what I explained to you before was almost the buyer side of things, you know, explaining it from a buyer's point of view. But I think one of the, the real sort of silver bullets, we'll probably talk a bit more about this, is that the 
breeder side, thinking about it from the you know the, the supply side of the marketplace, building a solution for them, so almost a, a CRM tool on that side of the market, um, helping them manage their applications, their processes, their payments, their, their messaging, you know, was, was really something which you know we think helped accelerate their um, migration online as well. So, you know, it, it's it's definitely still a journey, and we're still trying to make that shift. I think it will you know take time before it's the the new normal, but we're chipping away at that as a new way of doing things, and and really it's what hopefully you know people expect as well, that people are expecting that this is an, an industry which should be moving online to be safer and simpler. So we're really trying to help, you know, accelerate that that change. Yeah. And you mentioned there that the industry was sort of quite old school, um, one of the last to really digitize. How challenging was it to, and, and is it ongoing to get breeders to go, oh, yep, yeah, I'll change up the way I've been doing business for 50 years or something, you know, how hard is it to convince them of the benefits of something like this? Yeah, I mean, it, it is um, It is definitely a challenge. It still is a challenge. And I think, you know, if anything in, um, in business when it comes to sort of behavior change and trying to to get people to think differently and do things differently um, will we'll always take time. And, you know, as with anything else, you've got your adoption curve. You've got your early adopters who are probably a little bit more tech savvy, uh, maybe a little bit younger, maybe more willing to try new things. Um, all the way through to your, you know, um, laggards maybe that will take a little bit more time. So we're trying to obviously make our way through that that curve and and really try and sort of again just show them the benefits, make it really easy for them to sign up, to see the benefits, to you know migrate their their way of doing things over. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to are you actually solving a problem for them? Are you making their life easier? Um, so it, it's definitely an ongoing challenge, but I think for us, it's just about yeah trying to to really break it down as simply as possible, make it a really you know. Uh, an easy decision for them to say yes to um, and just showing them all the the amazing features and benefits that that come with it um, but it's an ongoing challenge for sure yeah and obviously the the convenience side is is a big part of it but also the responsibility side w- what were some of the issues that you saw in the marketplace outside of it just being really difficult to do your website says it's all about the about responsible dog breeders what sorts of practices out there are you hoping to change and 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 get people to move away from oh absolutely i mean you know we're talking a bit more about it from a business point of view but you're 100 percent right that the responsibility is is almost the it is the core of of what we do and you know when you talk about responsibility obviously that that can mean a lot of different things but what we really set out to do was um basically look at state legislations and guidelines and, and association best practices around what responsible breeding looks like and that refers to a whole different you know sector of things like you know breeding ages breeding limits how often you know dogs are having litters are they being looked after in the right way from a housing perspective are they getting the right health treatment um, you know we we look at it across a number of different areas which are all in our our code of ethics which was developed by um, uh, Imogen our, our head vet uh, and basically that is how we assess all new breeders that are joining the platform so when a new breeder joins uh, they have to basically uh, go through a verification process with us. They have to, you know, we check their their registration details, health testing that they do. We do a little video call with them when uh, when we do that call and they show us around the property and show us the sort of facilities where, where dogs are raised. So it's our way of basically doing that pre-screening for people coming to the site. Um, and it's really important. Breeders want to obviously stand out in a very crowded, you know, wild, wild west sort of market uh, on the internet. Um, and just being able to firstly 
you know, demonstrate that they are doing the right things and, and being held to a, a, a third party standard, um, but also for buyers to be able to see, you know, hang on, actually, I can feel confident that these these breeders are doing the right thing. You know, that was a real, um, you know, that, that really underpins everything that we do. Um, and our whole mission is all about helping dogs and owners start off on the right paw, um, hence the name. Um, and the idea being that if you can start with the right breeder, who's going to be doing the right things from birth, and in some cases even before birth, because there's a lot of planning that goes into having a dog and litters and testing and all of that. Um, if you can really create that perfect start with a great breeder, then ultimately you're setting up the dog for the best possible success as well. Um, so the responsibility element is is you know critical to what we do. Yeah, and I just wanted to touch on something else you mentioned. Um, you know, the COVID pandemic, twenty twenty, we we obviously saw a huge demand increase for pets. How much did that play into the way that you know you guys got started and 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 the company formed and and how it's grown since then? Yeah, I mean, it's I can honestly hand on heart say that it wasn't something that we anticipated or planned for. You know, a lot of like we we started in twenty twenty in. in um, Literally March of 2020, um, a week after we got our sort of first funding secured, we uh, went into lockdown uh, and basically have been in uh, you know a, a remote first business as a result since then. Um, so the idea itself predated COVID, and and as you mentioned earlier, like it's something which has been around for a while, but it, the the COVID pandemic really impacted how we approached sort of chipping away at that problem and and how we went to market with that solution um, because I think it's really easy to think about redefining this world from a buyer's point of view because everyone's a pet owner everyone's a you know looking for a pet they can sort of put themselves in the, the shoes of the the buyer and say oh this is how it should work and you know you can design a whole system that looks fantastic for the buyer but with any marketplace you need to think about both sides and the breeder side of it was something which, you know, considering during COVID there was infinite demand for dogs and only a finite supply of dogs, you know, going to a, to, to a breeder and saying, hey, we've got another place for you to advertise and it's great, you know, they're going to say, well, I'm already drowning with 50 calls a day. I don't need this. So the COVID sort of pandemic really made us think, well, what problem are we actually solving for the breeder side of the market and for that side? And, you know, in terms of, dictating our approach it really forced us to say okay well we've got to build something that works for both sides and really that works for you know getting the breeders on board as well and making their lives easier um, and i think that that was something which you know maybe businesses in the past that have looked at this space they've, they've it's probably looked at it more from a buyer side and we've really tried to look at it from a, a sort of both sides but you know starting with a breeder side um, particularly during 2020 it meant that we really needed to make sure we were building something which worked for them um, so it, it definitely dictated our approach. I think, you know, coming into sort of, you know, late 2022 now, that sort of seems to be leveling off. You've got, you know, um, you know, rising interest rates, cost of living pressures, and, you know, the I'd say the demand and supply for dogs sort of leveling off a little bit. So it's, you know, the the changing dynamics of the market can really impact sort of how you build your product and, and ultimately how you try and and build a problem uh, sorry build a solution for your for your customer so i think yeah in in uh, in a different world in a different time you would have had to approach it differently um, but i think the covid sort of uh sort of period really yeah really informed our whole strategy yeah i i think that's a that's definitely a common story um and just sidestepping a bit in terms of 
looking at how you came to be part of the business, um, something you mentioned there was, you know, raising funding and that sort of thing. I just wanted to know, you know, at, at what point did you decide that you wanted to be part of a startup? I mean, I mean, I know you were part of an, some sort of accelerator <laughs> program bef- before you got started and, and you know, you, you worked in marketing for, for quite some time. How did, how, can you tell the story about how you got to that point and, and, and how it's been navigating the sorts of challenges that come with being a startup, getting funding, getting off the ground and all that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, the, I mean, the, the journey of Rightful really uh, sort of, yeah, as I said, it predated COVID and, and it would, was something which I'd been looking into for, for probably about 12 months beforehand. And, um, you know, I, I'd worked in marketing, I'd worked um, in a fast-moving consumer goods company um, and also got to work sort of within startups within that company. So I got a real taste of startups, really loved it um, and wanted to really go and, and build something myself and, and, and experience it fully. Um, but of course, then the question becomes, you know, where do you look? Where do you start? There's so many problems to solve. Um, and, you know, a, a wise person once told me to sort of, you know, when you're looking for a problem to solve, you know, you've got to look close to home, something which you understand or which, you you know, you have a unique insight into which other people might not. Um, and you know, I, mean, I guess you can't really look more close to home than, than your own home. And, and, and my wife, actually, uh, uh, Imogen, who's, who's our vet, um, uh, who's also involved in Right Paul, uh, she really gave a lot of insight into sort of this problem. And it really started with you know, her coming home every day from the vet clinic, talking about health issues, behavioral issues, you know, abandonment issues, all of the challenges that vets see on a day-to-day basis um, and almost feeling a little bit helpless or, or powerless um, in a lot of instances to say, well, you know, I, I'm treating something almost too late. You know, where, where we really need to be making a difference is, you know, a lot earlier in the process because I'm seeing all these problems coming in, you know, so much later in the journey. And when we sort of kept chipping away and digging into it and talking about it over dinner and things a bit more every night and, and you really got to the point where you saw, well, actually the biggest difference that you can make to a, to a pet's life is, is at the very beginning of its journey. Um, and that was sort of that little nugget of insight that allowed us to really sort of flesh out what Rightful was and, and meant we started to look into the beginning of the journey a little bit more and that's where we sort of uncovered even more challenges. So what started as sort of like a, you know, a social and, and responsibility issue sort of then quickly became, well, actually there's, there's actually a business problem to solve here, which is that there's not really a, a proper channel or solution to find a pet, that, you know, that makes sense. It's still stuck in the dark ages as, as we talked about before. So that was sort of the, the initial sort of, you know, um, scoping out process. And then obviously we did a lot more market research and validation. And um, at the time we were based overseas and, and we thought, well, if we're going to look into this with, with you know, seriousness, we've, we've got to do it in a market that we understand. We've got to go back home. We've got to do it in a, you know, environment where it makes sense. And so that, that actually brought us back to Sydney um, and back to the Sydney startup scene, which was sort of, as, as you mentioned, where um, we, we joined an accelerator program called Antler, which was, uh, you know, a, basically a program where you could join uh, with or without an idea actually, and you could meet your co-founder through that program. So a lot of, you know, uh, entrepreneurial people would come together for a 12 week period and, you know, mingle and flesh out ideas and sort of a little bit like sort of the apprentice meets big brother meets love Island. Like it's a very interesting social experiment, but what it, I think more than anything else, it actually introduced me to uh, my co-founder, Adelaine, who uh, is our CTO and uh, so our chief technology officer. And uh, she had previously worked at Hypages and Koala, so had a great 
deal of experience in marketplaces and, and um, e-commerce. And sort of we started working together and fleshing this out a bit more. And um, we pitched for funding as part of the, the Antler program um, and received sort of our initial funding. And that's what really got us off the ground. Um, and that was sort of the start of the journey. And that was, as I said, at the beginning of 2020. And obviously, over the last sort of two years that we've been building, it's been, you know, constantly, you know, um, you know, going through the, the journey of, of, you know, learning, research, ship, you know, revise, ship, ship again, and, and continually iterating, building on your MVP, building your customer base. Um, and we did, we raised a few funding rounds um, since then. So um, we raised, uh, just actually raised our seed round a few months ago as well. So, you know, going through the fundraising journey as well was very interesting. I think, um, obviously, uh, it's... Uh, something which I hadn't personally had experience in before. So it was very new to me. Um, and again, it comes back to, you know, really being able to sell people on your vision and, and, and bring on the right people on the journey that believe in what you're doing, believe in you um, as an early stage business as well, um, and believe in yeah, the, the story of what you're building and, and then you've just got to go out there and, and make it happen. So I think it's, it's uh, been a, a fantastic journey um, to, to almost – you know, go from a very corporate world to a very startup world um, and also work on something that is very close to home as well um, and something that really, you know, means a lot to, to myself and to Imogen and Adelaide. And, you know, it's something which gets us out of bed every morning to, to go and work on and, and really try and solve that problem. So, no, it, it's it's been a, 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 yeah, wild ride over the last two years, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of learnings. Um, that classic, you know, diagram that you see where it's like what you think the path to success looks like and you think it's a straight line and ends up being a whole sort of bunch of circles and zigzags and all of that is is very true so it definitely resonated yeah for sure and and I, i'm sort of interested in in breaking down something on this podcast which sort of seems to be a common story which is a, a lot of people that do end up getting into positions like the one you're in starting up a company have you know worked for large corporate businesses and that sort of thing. Interested to know, I guess, what you learned from those experiences that you had before that, that you've been able to apply in a business that is entirely of, of your own. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And I think working in any sort of, you know, larger corporate, I think the benefits that you get from just understanding processes and frameworks and sort of like they're really good at structure. They're really good at sort of helping you un- sort of think through problems and challenges and and apply yeah apply frameworks to new problems. So I think the idea of being able to look at a new problem with a bit more of a, a framework attached to it is what really a, a big company can offer as well. Um, but I think in particular, uh, particularly for this uh, space that I've been looking at. Um, so I worked at Unilever beforehand, and, and Unilever has a big um, you know sustainability. Uh, component to their business, which is, you know, makes them quite unique in the market as well. And, you know, they had a whole um, mantra around sort of doing well by doing good. So, you know, the idea is your business, you know, goals should um, be doing well at, at the same time as your social responsibility element should be doing well. So they should almost feed into each other. And this idea of like profit and purpose sort of going hand in hand as well. Um, and I think that really sort of impacted me. Um, in terms of the way that I looked at new challenges and new businesses, I think, you know, in in the day and age that we live in now, you, you have to have 
you know, something which uh, links those two together. And ultimately, like the the modern conscious consumer of today, they're, they're expecting that of companies as well. Um, and that, you know, whether you're a big corporate or a small startup, like it's all about how are you helping my world and the world. And that's something that's really, really important um, in terms of the way that we started thinking about the business. I mean, even in the name, you know, it's our name is what we do. And ultimately, if we help you know, owners and and uh, and dogs start off on the right paw. You're, you know, it helps you know our business grow, but it also helps you know set up a, a better animal industry and improves animal welfare. Um, so I think, work, like for me personally, you know, all of the the frameworks and ways of thinking that I was was lucky enough to to build on from you know working in a corporate really sort of helped inform how I was going to approach thinking about a startup. Um, because a lot of those things in those you know those early stages really are consistent. Yeah, and you mentioned as well you spent a little bit of time overseas. Uh, do you think there's anything that you learnt going into a completely different market and working that you've been able to implement in the right poor business that you might not have learnt otherwise? Yeah, I think so. I, I was lucky enough to live in in London for a couple of years, and it's funny. I mean, uh, London is is almost like its own country within the UK, um, which is, it's very funny, you know, it's, it's a real microcosm. You've got people from all different walks of life and, and all, you know, different countries as well. It's a very global microcosm um, there as well. Um, but I think one thing that London does really well is that it, it's almost like its own community in many ways. And, and you know, you you don't, you, you know, when you roll out a new product or a new feature or, or you know, or, or a new um, idea, a lot of people incubate it in London first and try and, Build London, and then they build the rest of the country after that. Also, I mean, because they're just they're so different, um, you know, for, from you know London versus the rest of the UK. Um, and I think working in London and seeing a lot of startups and a lot of small businesses sort of really just try and hone in on the, that community um, and really sort of execute and and almost sort of yeah pop up startup in that smaller community and then go larger and 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 go beyond that was a really good blueprint to think about how to sort of roll out your your own startup and to think about, well, what are the stages of growth that we're going to go through? How are we going to actually you know, target this in a, in a clever way? How are we going to segment our audience and segment our sort of our growth so that it's, you know, it's manageable, but also that, you know, we're, we're doing it in a way where we can really leverage our community. Um, and I'll probably talk about that a little bit more later on, but the, the community element was something which I think was a real unlock for us and, and fostering that sort of, you know, that community was something I saw a lot of startups do really well overseas, um, particularly with building those early adopters, those early advocates. Um, and even, yeah, just, just really nailing, you know, that smaller market before they really sort of accelerated beyond that. Yeah, it definitely seems like London can be a place to really foster all that creativity. And and something that you just mentioned, I, I wanted to touch on. Um, what does the future growth of of the company look like? Is is it is it about expanding your your footprint in, in Australia? Is it about expanding beyond Australia? Is it about an IPO? You know, or what, what what's the future of Rightpool looking like for you? Yeah, I think our, our whole mission comes back to how we can really try and and redefine the start of the pet journey. Um, so you know. We've obviously started with helping connect, you know, breeders and buyers together, and and supporting them through that process. And then also when they take their pup home as well, we offer things like you know training and support and um and different ways, you know, again for them to be able to purchase everything they need to to get themselves ready to go. So that's again how we can support owners even just now. 
but there's yeah there's so much more we we hope to do i think firstly um even thinking about within the same space rescue is, is a really important area for us um, and we want to try and and build on how we can actually offer the same solution and support to people looking for rescue dogs as well because that's that's a really important area um so you know, thinking about rescue growth, um, thinking about other animals as well. Um, you know, a lot of animals have paws. We often joke, so the idea is uh, we can we can look into uh, to a lot of different spaces. But I mean, particularly cats as well. Um, I'd say we probably get one or two requests a week to you know offer the same platform, but for cats as well. Um, so that's definitely something that that is in in the future as well. Um, and then yeah, and then looking at how we can offer the services overseas as well. You know, we're a technology first platform, so being able to sort of roll this out to a number of different markets that have the same challenges and that are you know similarly um, you know technologically advanced, but but maybe the the dog world and the breeding world is a little bit sort of still fragmented and and you know. Um, not not as digitized so i think for us the opportunity really comes into you know starting to really build out how we can just really capture and and support everyone who is coming into that that first journey be be that sort of first port of call for people looking for a dog and and just offer them that that support along the way because it can be a very uh scary and alienating process trying to you know look for, like know what to look for and especially if you're a first time buyer as well so I think there's just so much opportunity to to really continue to build on that, both in Australia, um, both in different species, and then overseas. Um, so there's yeah, there's, there's so much opportunity, which I think, you know, that's probably the the biggest challenge for us in some ways is that there's so much excitement and, and opportunity. You know, being focused is something that we sort of have to keep bringing ourselves back to. So um, yeah, I think yeah, there's, there's no shortage of of, uh, of exciting opportunities in the future. Yeah, I think the the rescue side of it's really interesting. Personally, I um, adopted a cat last year, um, and I think it's possibly you know among millennials and and younger demographics, there's there's a real desire for you know responsible pet ownership, and part of that is not necessarily getting a dog from a breeder because there are obviously a lot of pets that need to be rescued. So I feel like that would be something not necessarily cats, but but rescues that would really you know it would be a no brainer for you guys, right? Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, the it, funnily enough, rescue was was something we were look, looking into a lot earlier. But as I mentioned, we started during twenty twenty, and it, it seems funny to say so. But at the time, shelters were empty. Like the, the, during COVID, the, they actually just completely um, were, were cleaned out, and which was great in the sense that a lot of people were were fostering animals, and it was brilliant. So we almost thought, well, gosh, I mean. We probably need to look at something else to start with. Um, hence, hence why we looked at breeding. Um, and, and actually, one of our sort of core sort of beliefs is that I mean, all, all dogs have to come from sort of somewhere. And, and if you can again make sure you're matching the right owner with the right pet at the right time, hopefully that dog will never end up in a shelter. Um, and actually, all breeders that sign up to Right Paw um, as part of our code of ethics, if an owner can no longer look after a dog, um, they have to. Uh, be able to take that dog back um, and find it the right home. So, you know, trying to almost like close that loop um, is something that's important as well to us. But yeah, I think going into the next sort of 12 to, you know, 18 months, we don't know what's going to be happening in the rescue space. And I think that there is a risk, absolutely, and we monitor it a lot, that people may not be able to look after the, the dogs that they got during the pandemic. Um, so I think that looking into that and, and providing a again, a responsible 
uh, place for dogs to be rehomed is is a really important angle, um, and and it's so important to a lot of people as well. Um, I think rescue animals are, are you know uh, we have a rescue a uh, little rescue dog ourselves, so um, yeah, it's such a such an important part of the the whole animal industry. Yeah, definitely a great space to be able to play in. And just before we wrap up, a question that I will always finish this podcast with, which is what is your silver bullet for business success? Now, it doesn't have to be a practice that's even specifically related to business. It can be a mindset or a philosophy. It could be going for a run before work. Not just to explain to you, Nathan, but just to the listeners, uh, the sort of whole idea here is that is that we disagree that people don't think there's a silver bullet at all and that if you you know rock up to work and work hard every day you'll succeed we, we we just don't agree that that's true and that's why people who are innovators succeed and people who are disruptors succeed so uh, i do digress but but back to the question you know what would you say yours is yeah i think i had to think about this and and try to reflect back on the last couple of years because there's there's definitely been a few sort of i think key reflections that have really helped us sort of accelerate and cut through um you know, a, a pretty pretty tough industry as well and a pretty tough space. And I think going back to what I mentioned earlier about community and, and how do you sort of, again, foster a, those early adopters, I think the best silver bullet that has helped us over the last two years has been, you know, really building with your customers and early adopters and creating creating a great community to, to grow with. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the number one reason startups fail is you build something that no one wants. And being able to validate as early as possible, you know, am I building something that people care about? And, you know, am I going to, you know, build something ultimately without, you know, that, uh, that is going to help, uh, help my, my sort of early adopters and my customers. That's where really where you've got to start. And for us, when we started the journey, you know, Adelaide, my co-founder, was always great about this. You know, as an engineer, she doesn't want to be building something uh, and investing time into coding and, and and engineering, you know, without feeling confident about what what we're building. And so, a lot of time in our early days went into validation. You know, how can you really test this with buyers and 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 you know breeders before you actually go and build it? And so, for us, like I think our silver bullet was really sort of building with our early adopters. You know, we had a community of like five to ten breeders to start with who we really just workshopped with you know we we got designs in front of them we met with them in cafes and, and they they live all across the, across new south wales as well so you know we went to them and we said okay let's watch you go through this let's watch you you know play with this prototype talk to us talk us through what you're thinking and just really building that understanding of actually you know how are we going to build a solution that they want? Um, and then going away and building the simplest version of that going back and then constantly building on that feedback and, and creating a community of people who really then become invested in what you're doing. Um, because that that for us was just such a huge acceleration um, in terms of our understanding of the industry, but also our understanding of the product um, and whether it was something that people wanted. Um, and the flip side of it is that it creates a really engaged audience. You know, these these people who are on the journey with you, they become really invested because they they want you to succeed because they feel like they've contributed to what you what you're building and they're part of that solution. You know, they built it for me. Um, and that, you know, comes back to you in terms of word of mouth. It comes back to you in terms of product insights. So all of that, you know, idea of building a community, um, building something with your customers really hands-on and making sure you're validating this is something that they want. I think is the the best possible 
um, silver bullet that can really accelerate you know your growth as a, as a startup and really I guess also minimize the risk of you building the wrong thing which is probably the the bigger challenge um, because that you know and, and we're guilty of it too you know some products we've we've thought we've done the right thing and then we've shipped it and we're like actually you know that doesn't necessarily hit the nail on the head so constantly going back to your customers your users um, that is going to be the best silver bullet that you can have um, as a as a startup and as a founder yeah fantastic well it'll be really exciting to watch the growth journey of the company over the next couple of years and to see what you do next uh, Nathan Oliveri thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me today no my pleasure thanks for having me